Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. This is a Rogue Media Network podcast. Coming up on the payoff, Megan Wilcox is about to join us from Boston, Massachusetts. She's a Buffalo native from the Northeast like me, and, well, she had problems with alcohol just like me. It was very easy to relate with her, uh, relate to her, and it was even more relatable, her ability to articulate her issues with alcohol and the issues she struggled with specifically as a woman and how she's been able to become empowered in sobriety and help other women uh, through her website and Instagram, Soba Sisters. Uh, you kind of would spell it like you say it in Boston, Soba Sisters. And uh, she's real cool. And I, I mentioned to her at the end of the podcast, you know, when you talk with other people um, and you're in recovery and you can share with somebody for an hour about their story in recovery and about your experiences, you know, that is some of the stuff that fills the hole in my soul um, that I think addiction can bring. And uh, it was a really fulfilling conversation uh, connecting with somebody else in sobriety. She does work with our buddy Brad at uh, Sober Buddy. And, uh, you know, he's a legend in this whole, in this whole field. So, uh, yeah, you're going to like this podcast. It's pretty awesome. Megan Wilcox is awesome. And she is coming up next. But first, Kevin Souza. You know, I know you, you, your story a little bit. You talk about your drinking really ramped up after you got divorced, and it became, like, real problematic. That's at least what I've read and heard you say. What was your relationship like around alcohol growing up uh, as a young girl? Did you, did you, like, were you, so you were in Buffalo growing up, right? So what was it like there, and, and what was that experience like in, in your formative years? Yeah, so I, I had my first drink when I was maybe in ninth grade. So 15 years old, I remember I went to a party and uh, and definitely drank a lot, blacked out on that first time. I remember coming home and my mom was a nurse and worked nights. So she came home around midnight and she was like, how did you get home? And I was like, you took me home. I didn't, re I didn't remember anything. And, um, but I didn't drink mu too much after that. Um, you know, it was more, I would say when I got older that it, became problematic, but it was never good. I never could handle it. I blacked out most times I drank. It was more like a binge drinking thing in my 20s. But before alcohol really became a problem, I kind of got into gambling. That was where my addictive, <laughs> when I was 19 years old, I had a full-blown like gambling addiction. And What kind of I, gambling? Are, are we betting on games? Are we playing poker? Or what are we doing? You're, you'll laugh, but uh, it was a lot of slot machines. That okay, I'm not going to lie, yeah. <laughs> um, so I was, like, up, up by Canada there, and there's a lot of uh, casinos. And these aren't, like, Vegas casinos. These are just, like, these hole-in-the-wall casinos. I was waitressing. I would take my tip money and go gamble and, and usually, most of the time, lose my car payment, my, you know, 
the money I had just made and it was like chasing that rush in that that dopamine rush that I would get and but I'll tell you those drives home after I would lose feels a lot like the morning after you know a, a bad night of drinking yeah I mean I, I can I was in uh Las Vegas for work a little over a year ago and uh I was playing slots and I won and you know I've been sober for a little while but when those bells started going off and when I wasn't exactly curious as to how much I was going to win, it's all like tallying and it's like this larger than life thing in front of me. I was like, I felt that euphoria. And I was almost like, whoa, this is kind of weird. I, I, I'm not used to this out of control type euphoria feeling, you know? And it's the same thing. You mentioned that dopamine. I mean, it, it's, I'm not a doctor, but I know it feels similar. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And it really took me moving at the time I was living in Buffalo was I moved to Boston to get away from it. So I didn't really deal with, maybe at the time I didn't even realize like, okay, I'm definitely addicted to um, to gambling and this is could be really dangerous. I just moved to Boston and that kind of stopped it because there wasn't, you know, any casinos or anything like that at the time around here. And so that sort of just put the kibosh on that. And then I just moved on to other things, either shopping to fill this black hole I felt like I had inside me or bad relationships. And then eventually alcohol. How, how much did the gambling set you back? Oh, a, a lot. Like I would say most of probably what I made at the time, yeah. which, which wasn't a lot, you know, I was just waitressing. And so, but it was, it's all relative. If it's a car yeah. payment, it's, it's a lot, you know, it's whatever it is to your life. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Wow. So you get to Buffalo, you get to Boston. Why, why did you end up moving to Boston? Just literally to get away or did you have family there? Was it a relationship? My mom had come here when I was uh, just graduating high school. She had moved as she was a travel nurse. And so she was like, why don't you come out here to get, get a change of, scenery and all of that and so I did I packed up everything in my Chevy Cavalier I came out here to live with my mom who was here and uh and she ended up moving like not that long after and then I I stayed and had kids and then I just been here ever ever since and, and you you're a nurse right radiology tech in the ER yeah okay yeah so you're around same kind of profession like mom was a, l a little bit right um what was it like so you get to Boston and then you know, you, you have children. Um, did you get married? I did. Yeah, I got married and divorced in 2017. Okay, so this is so, and this is what you talk about in your story. Um, in 2017, you get divorced and your life starts to kind of spiral out with, with the drinking. And I love the way you put it into words. It's just like, you know, all of a sudden it's a bottle of wine. You know, it goes from a glass every night to, to a bottle and then the cycle starts and the shame uh, grows like a freaking monster. You know, like what, what was that like for you um, when, when you get divorced and now all of a sudden you're in this vicious cycle? How did it start? How did, you, how did the drinking start? Long question, but how did it start to really progress? Yeah, because many people be like, oh, was it your drinking that caused your divorce? And I didn't, it wasn't an issue in my marriage, actually. I at the time was mostly a stay-at-home mom. And I was like really focused on that. And so I, my party life kind of just went fizzled away and I could go months and months without drinking. I didn't even think about it. 
And then it was, yeah, when I discovered wine and around, around the time I was getting divorced, which came out of nowhere and really, really sudden. All right, so you say the divorce was sudden. I got to kind of ask a hard question. What was it? What was it like? Because relationships, in my experience, they will, they'll rock you. Um, you know, matters of the heart are some of the toughest things to, to deal with emotionally, which will, whether you're drinking now or not, it can always lead to more drinking. I would say, um, it was a big disconnect and he worked a lot and I was home a lot by myself. I had no family around here. Um, and so I just felt really alone and, and he was a workaholic and really just that's where all his time went into working. And, um, and there was some infidelity, um, in there and that I just definitely did not, not see coming at all. And, and so, yeah, I, I ended up moving out. He still lives in the family home. So I moved out. My kids at the time were two and seven, um, two and seven. So they're pretty young. And so that's when I, I just really turned to drinking when I, the kids would go You're sort of underselling it. This is a total hate. This is one of life's haymakers, you know, where it's like, uh, that's a huge deal. And so coping with that can be difficult. And, you know, you got the kids, you're, you're divorced. So now the drinking starts to pick up a little bit. And, and it's like, as an alcoholic, I totally understand, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it just, I mean, it happened like that, but then it also snuck up on me, the drinking and but it filled that void. I felt I felt so horrible about getting divorced. My parents divorced when I was 14 and I, I was devastated. I begged them to get back together for for years. And so I just felt so and we got married later. My son was five, my older son. So he was in our wedding and it, it was just and he was devastated. My older son definitely took it harder where my younger son, he didn't know he was so young. And so the guilt of that, of, um, I ripped our family up, not me, uh, but that, you know, but I felt like it was me and that, yeah, just drinking, I just numbed it. And when it's, you know, it was more like when they would go to their dads on the weekend, like I would just drink by myself or sometimes I would go out, but for the most part, it was me just drinking alone and then crying. (laughs) And then, yeah, it ended up just being pretty much every night I worked overnight. So I knew those would be nights that I wouldn't be drinking. And I kind of lived in that cycle for a, for many years, at least three years after my divorce. And then it was pandemic and work was really stressful. And I, I'd always thought like, well, if I'm not drinking in the morning when I first wake up, like I don't. I don't have a problem then, you know, I don't know why that was like my barometer. That's how my family was raised. I mean, my dad grew up, I grew up in Philadelphia. My dad is from Connecticut. And it was like, if you had a job, you weren't an alcoholic, you know, like if you could maintain a job, that's at least the impression that I got. And that's, I think what a lot of us grew up with. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and when it came to work, you know, working at my hospital job, I had like, great performance at reviews. Like I never missed work due to my drinking. I was never late to work due to my drinking. I was really good at like balancing everything and having, but I had all the balls up in the air and they were just ready to, to fall. You know, the thing that was suffering was myself. Um, you know, not, I, I was able to somehow take care of everything else. And, but I know, but the pandemic hit work was stressful. I'm trying to homeschool my kids. I'm definitely drinking more and I was drinking after my overnight shift. It was the morning. And that's when I was like, 
oh crap, like, you know, I'm like, well, it's, it's kind of nighttime for me because I do overnights, but still it was eight o'clock in the morning and I was drinking wine and then to pass out and to go to sleep. And that's when I really noticed like, this is not going. You're this not is- the only one, right? Like that has this story. I, you know, there's probably people listening to this and there's people that I've had on this podcast that, you know, the pandemic just accelerated it. It's not to say that they're, they don't have a, uh, you know, they're not alcoholic or the alcohol use disorder doesn't live inside them, but it really made it pronounced that isolation, that time that also for me, I mean, I was, I was sober by the time it hit and I stayed sober, but there was all, there was like a snow day type of feel to it. Right. Like, Oh, like, fuck it. You know? Um, and I think a lot, a lot of people were moved towards an increase in drinking. I mean, it's a fact. Absolutely. And that was because, I mean, the media, the news, all that, they're like, hurry up, stock up on whatever. And I didn't keep a lot of alcohol actually in my home. I would always buy like my one, two bottles of wine and every night when I would drink. And, but that, but in the beginning of the pandemic, I went and bought this like handle of vodka because God, you know, I didn't know what was going to happen. And I remember I, I drank it the first night and I just was like free pouring, making myself drinks because the kids now were going to be out of school for two weeks. And I, I got so sick from that night and I woke up the next day and I like dumped the neck, dumped the rest out. I was like, I cannot have this. And it wouldn't be another at least year or so until, until you I stopped. Yeah. 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 And it's funny. That's like, a, and, and it sounds like to me, like you're, cause this is what happened to me when I was drinking and using, like you start to go through doors that you don't come back through, you know, like the handle of vodka. It's like, Whoa, like that was like, that's scary. And then you talk about, um, and I know you do a lot of work with women now in recovery and, you know, we're going to get into your coaching and, and, and sober sisters and all that, but you know, you try to put like parameters, right. Uh, or, or limits on your drinking, uh, to no avail. Like what, what was that like? And share some of like the disappointment that comes with that, you know, that follows you around. Yeah. I feel like that disappointment, that shame, is some is worse than the hangover sometimes, you know, but I would, I would put, you know, it would be like water in between drinks or I'm only going to drink this, like a half a bottle of this wine, which definitely never happened or only on like two nights. I mean, I had all the, the tricks and I couldn't keep true to any of my promises to myself. And so it really just, by the end, I did not like myself. I had zero self-worth. I couldn't look in the mirror I, my mental health had just completely plummeted, you know, just feeling depressed, hopeless. And at one point suicidal, like I had texted my little brother and I was like, I could see how people could feel that this world, you know, wouldn't make a difference if they were here or not. And that was really where my mental state was around the time that I finally, you know, hit my rock bottom. Yeah, I mean, it's like you're going through this divorce or the divorce has happened and uh, you never, uh, this is again, like my own experiences in life, you never deal with those feelings. You're just drinking on, on top of them. And so you're not making any progress, right? And, and so you're, you're getting worse and you're getting worse and the alcohol kind of stops. It sounds like it kind of stops working. So what happens, by the way, what's your Instagram again? I'm just, I don't have it. My what Instagram is... Yeah, Soba Sisters. <laughs> yeah, and, and we'll share that in the profile. But if you go to Megan's uh, Instagram, you see the pictures of, you know, more than three years ago now, 
on Christmas, and then three years ago, uh, or, or present day, where you're a million bucks, you know, you're just, you, you light up, right, like in front of the camera, and it was this person who was, you could tell, was just hollow. I was the same place before I stopped drinking. What was that like? Like, how did you get to the jumping off point or the fact where you were like, okay, I'm done with this? Yeah, there was a couple things. And as I, as I mentioned earlier, it was like my, it was Christmas night. That was my rock bottom moment. But I had a couple, there was another Christmas, actually the year I got divorced where we went out as a family, even though we were, we were getting divorced. We came home because we were still living together, but I decided to go back out and drink and went out drinking all night. Just fuck it. I would have done the same. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Like, okay, I just had to go pretend like everything's all good. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) And so when we came home, I was like, I'd already had some drinks and I decided to go out and I went out and drank until I basically passed out that night. And I passed out and I woke up like, you know, when you wake up that adrenaline rush at like three, four AM when the sedative effects of alcohol wear off. And I was like, where am I? What happened? I'm looking at my phone. My husband's at the time, you know, was texting me like, where are you? I'm ready to call the police. What's going on? Cause it wasn't really like me to just not come home. I'm like, I'm on my way. So I made it home, but I didn't get to put the presents under the tree. My kids were like two and seven at the time. And I was so hungover that I just couldn't even enjoy Christmas. And so that, but that was years before my rock bottom moment, which was Christmas. uh, And my kids were with their dad and I drank by myself, passed out. And I don't know what it was about this time because I definitely had worse consequences or, you know, worse things happen or drink more. But it was something about this night that I was like, I just can't do this anymore. And I remember like sitting up and just asking the universe, like, okay, somebody please help me. I I can't do this anymore. And that's just when everything changed. And I started going to um, like Zoom virtual support groups the next day. Wow. So how did you, how did you find the support groups? Is it 12 step stuff or is it just, is it different stuff? I mean. Yeah, uh, no, actually, no, I, I never went to a 12 step program or and I don't know what it was either. Like, why didn't I ever, I looked up AA meetings in my area. I just, I don't know, for whatever reason, preconceived notions or yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. whatever. And that's yeah, what this I podcast is about. One of, one of the reasons I started this um, is because, you know, I'm, I'm 12 step guy. I go to AA, like it saved my life. It taught me how to live. But I also know uh, many people who got sober other ways. And like, I think there's so many, I just think we need to put it all out there. And let people know, like, forget about the shame, flush it down the toilet, let's go. Let's get together, you talk about it, let's connect, and let's live in a solution, right? And, and talk about what works. So what worked for you was getting this virtual support, and what exactly did you do? Like, how did you, how did you keep it going and gain the momentum to now here you are? Yeah, well... I actually um, had started doing a, a like a sobriety course, if you will. <laughs> um, that's what it was in January, I guess, dry January of 2021. And that's what started it all. So it was called the luckiest club was the meetings. I had read a book called we are the luckiest and they, they started doing virtual groups. Uh, I think during COVID actually. And that was the first group I went and there was, I don't know, like 200 women on this call. And I was like, Whoa, okay. Like, 
awesome, amazing women, you know, great people, just like you and I. And I was like, okay, it's just not what I expected people with a problem, you know, an alcohol problem to look like. And it, it, and it isn't. And I just left with so much hope. So I, I did, I started doing that. And um, I guess the, the rest was history. I, so so uh, you started, I, so you did a dry January in 2021, right? And that's how your sobriety started. Is that mm -hmm. right? So you, you started with what you thought was going to be a dry January. And then, am I right on that? Yeah, I never considered like not drinking forever. <laughs> or, I didn't know that that, honestly, I was like, I didn't know it was an option. I just was more trying to like control it or okay, yeah. let, me, let me just take enough time away and then maybe I'll come back and it'll be normal or whatever. So yeah, it was not my plan to quit forever. And I still don't really say forever. Um, I know I'm not today and not tomorrow. And I don't, you know, I don't plan to ever again. And so I did, I did, um, I did a hundred days on my own, I guess you could say, or with the virtual community. And then I ended up taking naltrexone um, for about five or six months because I, I felt so much better, but I still was having cravings. I still was, but I was like, I cannot go back. So I, my doctor had mentioned it to me and I was like, no, I'm not, I'm not that bad. I'm not taking a medication. She's like, just look it up. So I, I did some research and it said on the website, you don't have to hit rock bottom to want a better life. And it was something with that just hit me. And I was like, you know, what do I have to lose? Like the benefits outweigh the risks. If I go back to drinking, I'm going to kill my liver. And working in the hospital here in Boston, I see younger and younger people and more and more women coming through with you know, liver, end stage liver disease, cirrhosis, like all the things. And I was like, that will be me if I go back. So I, I took naltrexone. It was for me very, very helpful. And I took it for about five uh, months. Was there any, was there any point when you were in this first like dry January or first hundred days where, cause I know for me, like when I started to, you know, I did hit rock bottom, right? I didn't have to, but that's my story. And I can remember becoming vulnerable with other other guys in recovery and really starting to feel like oh wait a minute like this is this works you know like I feel good I'm starting to get the feelings connecting with people that I got you talked about that hole in your soul right I'm, I'm starting to fill that what what was it for you that started to fill that hole where you were like because I love when you say I can't go back you know like because we almost don't trust ourselves at some point we get terrified you know like I don't want to go back to that life but I know how my brain works, right? Um, so what were the moments for you? Any, anything specific happened where you were like, okay, this feels good. I can do this. I would say when I was about six months sober, I started my Instagram account. And I had thought I was like the pioneer of sober Instagram. I didn't realize there were so many accounts already at the time. But I started it and not just for fun or accountability. And that changed everything personally for me was having that as a creative outlet, I, I realized I did have creativity all these years. I just doubted myself because of years of drinking and waking up, hating myself every day. And I, so I would say definitely just starting my Instagram and seeing I can help people that way. I've always been someone who likes to help and, a, you know, empath and yeah, working in healthcare. It's just, yeah, it's just in my DNA to be that way. And so 
I found this passion and I started hosting my own groups. I, I didn't know what I was doing, but I'm like, whatever. I started hosting free support groups, which I did for over a year, multiple times a week. Where you would encourage own. women to get on yep. and talk about, because let's face it. I mean, and this is the, the, the I've been around, you know, sober women um, and sober women that come into recovery. It's, it can be, it can be different. You know, you walk into a, a, a room of recovery. Sometimes you're, you're outnumbered. Um, you know, and there's a different kind of because the way society is, and I can't speak to it, but maybe you can like the shame, right? We talk like, like there's an emphasis because we can have this archaic way of thinking about men and women, um, on the shame that women carry. Yeah. Yeah. And especially I feel like the extra shame too, as a mom, you know, that I'm drinking and that I'm going to bed next to my kids or you know smelling like alcohol and I'm this horrible mother so like that added element as well and so I wanted to just I I was seeing I can make a difference I can I just was helping people through like my dms you know helping them and then they would say hey I'm 30 days today thank you and I was like what are you wow this is this is crazy so I mean so I would say my instagram definitely gave me that that um like just um motivation to stay sober to keep doing the right thing because people I was helping people to change their life as well and so I was like I, I can't go back and just doing those meetings it definitely kept me me sober um for that whole first you know year year and a half well and it's the and it's the service component right like you're you're helping other people you're you're out of yourself you're out of your head and you know you talked about Connecting now, a lot of what you do now, you do one-on-one sober coaching, right? You you have groups. You're taking fucking groups of people to Bali. I mean, that's pretty impressive. What, what you're doing is pretty impressive. I mean, you you have clearly a model that is effective and is working and is helping people. I got a couple questions I wrote down, so excuse me for going to this. All right, so we talked about um, client or people who stop drinking. What do you say to clients who think sobriety is going to be boring? You know, that's a big thing we hear from people that first come around. And it's like, there's no bigger bullshit or lie people can tell themselves. But what's your experience? And what do you tell them? Without giving all your secrets away. Because we want people to go to the website. Yeah, I would say sobriety is not boring. Being hungover and wasting your beautiful day is boring. And that it's not sobriety that's boring. It's you. You're boring. You're not challenging your brain enough you need to get out you need to find new hobbies meet new people try new things when you sit at home and just sit here and and think about oh man i'd really want to drink you're gonna get that creepy crawly feeling you're gonna be bored so you really have to put your push yourself out of the comfort zone and that's definitely what what i did you know as you mentioned the retreats and that was nothing like i had ever done so challenging yourself and finding new hobbies it's, I have had the most fun, done the most in my life in the last three years than I did for the 37 years before that. I never, I never traveled. I never had a passport till I got sober. Yeah. I, I didn't do, I thought I was like having this like fun life, but it, it's sobriety is, you know, it's what you make it though. If you say it's going to be boring, it's going to be boring. If you say it's going to be great and this is going to change my life, then most likely it will, you know, it is what we believe. It's a major shift in perspective and it's an opportunity to have that major shift in perspective. You know, at some point I saw 
being sober, not as this burden or this like, you know, walking the green mile. I saw it as an opportunity. And like you said, when I saw the ability to like have an impact and help people with my story, regardless of how much time I had, I was like, wow, like this is like, I felt like I was like, I was useful, you know? Um, let me get back to these questions. Okay. Oh, this is what I wanted to ask you about. So alcohol use disorder, you've done a ton of research in that field, which has enabled you to have this career. What have you learned about that as far as coaching women specifically, like with alcohol use disorder? Like what, what have you discovered with that? Yeah, I had never heard of it. And, you know, and working in a hospital too, uh, the medical field does not, you know, really recognize the term alcoholism anymore or alcoholic. They use alcohol use disorder. And so that's the medical so, field. See, this is all like educational for me. So in the medical field, that's what they, that's what they say now. Yeah, the, alcoholism is more of like an, an older term, but the, the new medical diagnosis is alcohol use disorder, which is a spectrum from mild to severe. And once I learned that as well, because I struggled with, am I an alcoholic? Am I not? I thought it was so black and white and like I had to fit into this box and I was like, well, I never had a DUI and I don't drink in the morning, you know, like those were the things. So but once I realized, uh, I don't, I don't have to use a label if I don't want to, or it doesn't make me feel empowered or anything. Um, but, it, but I do have sort of a diagnosis, you know, alcohol use disorder in that most people I feel like who drink fall somewhere on that spectrum, whether it is mild um, or all the way up up to severe. So that definitely helps. So when I'm working with women, I just can, I teach them that and I'll see it say even like, look it up and, and do some research and you'll see, you know, that maybe you do fall into those categories. And I think they feel a little weight off of them when they see that there is, you know, that this is a, a thing and that it can affect anybody. What about how pervasive it is in the, in the culture with like moms and, and drinking wine and stuff. And like, it's just so, you know, you have to not drink for a, a while and get sober to realize that you don't need it. Right. But when you're in it, you're in it. And it sure shit seems like you need it to be a part of and stuff like that. What's, what's your experience been like that personally? And what do you tell some of your clients? Because I think that's a, that's a big one. I mean, whether it's, it's just a huge part of the, of the culture in today's society. And especially with moms, like, you know, drinking wine, having fun, and then going to pick up the kids from practice. It's way more prominent than we care to admit. Yeah. And women and moms and all that are drinking. I, I just read something the other day. It said 65% more than women, you know, that from past generations that it, and I a hundred percent believe that I see it. I remember when my son was, he first went to school, so kindergarten, and I was invited, we had a snow day, and I was invited to a play date with, um, like, sledding and stuff in the backyard, but they all had mimosas, and, you know, we're drinking, it was, like, 11 a.m., and I was like, oh, this is what we do? I had never, <laughs> I had never done that or experienced yeah. that, and so then it was a lot of just what, you know, maybe husbands working, and then the wives would get together, and uh, the kids would play, and the moms would just drink wine, and you know, at the end of the day, wine is still alcohol. It's not any better if you, you know, than if you're drinking vodka, it doesn't really matter. It's all ethanol. It does, it has the same effects. I just think maybe it's like more accepted because it's, it's wine and, you know, it's just totally different, but it's, it's not. And I, I do feel like, you know, maybe I'm not getting those phone calls and invited to those types of things anymore. 
but I'm okay with it for sure because I'm I know I'm what I'm doing with my life is I have real connections now real conversations not just surface level so it can be I know a lot of people do struggle with that because their phone maybe doesn't ring as much or then they see those groups of women still hanging out and they're excluded now because they're not drinking and and that's why you need that group to to be able to talk about these types of things and to get reassured that you're making the right decision because a lot of times people will just they'll want to go back to drinking because that's really they feel uncomfortable well it's amazing how those feelings of insecurity which are which are bullshit right like oh i mean they're real because you're having them but um, in a sense where I, I speak from personal experience, you just feel like you're disconnected. I'm not a part of this group I used to be a part of. And you can do enough um, talking to yourself that you make sense of drinking again so you can be a part of that group. Where if you give it time and you talk and, and you work with people like you or you kind of like you said, get out of your comfort zone and do stuff, you start to realize that if you want back in that circle, that's there for you. And you don't even have to drink but it's just not as appealing. I mean, that, that is like the beautiful moment when, you know, there's guys that I still connect with and hang with, um, that drink and they drink and they get drunk and like, but like, I'm not there when they get like loaded. You know what I mean? Like we still hang out when they're having some drinks, but they're like my core really close group of friends. Like I'm not just hanging out with randos who are getting <laughs> hammered. It just doesn't happen anymore, you know? And it's like, but it's one of those things like, you know, Megan, I never knew, like that, that I never would have written that script, right? Like I was going to stop drinking and my life was going to just take flight and become so enjoyable and there will be some success. I thought that I'm going to be sitting in church basements for the rest of my life or just hanging out, right? Like drinking coffee at, at a diner. It's not the case. You do that. Well, for me, I do that when I need to, but yeah. I mean, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. It, it's opened up so many doors for me personally. It's that I'm like, I could never go back to drinking because I would lose all this that I've built and worked hard for. And it's just not for what to have a temporarily feel, you know, numb for a little bit. It's, it's just, it's not worth it at all. And just everything I've been able to experience and the relationships I've been able to improve in my life. It, yeah, it's, it's insane. It's definitely not what I had thought it would. I thought I just wasn't going to be hung over anymore. And wasn't going to have like my crazy mood swings. And it's so much more than that. It's way more than you bargained for. What, what do you feel like? And this is like, this is going to go up today at the latest tomorrow, right? It's January. So today's January 3rd, tomorrow's January 4th, dry January. People are like in the midst of it. And, and more than ever, I mean, I got sober in 2011, but it was like late 2011. So I was sober in January, 2012. I swear to God, nobody was talking about dry January. I mean, like, really, maybe some people were, but now they are. And I view it as, you know, it's kind of like sometimes you're like, man, like, whatever, dry, everybody's talking about it. But at the same time, it's positive because it can plant a seed. Like, what have you experienced and what do you tell your clients who are like, hey, I want to do a dry January. Like, can you help me through that? Like, what, what do you say is in it for them to do, to do that? Yeah, I I'm so passionate about dry January because I think it is such a great opportunity and people feel, you know, like they let their guard down. Okay, I'm just, it's dry January. Everybody does dry January. It doesn't mean I have to have this like problem. Um, so it almost gives people permission. So you think it's a great opportunity because it's becoming so inclusive. Yeah, it, yeah, exactly. And I've had um, a whole 
core group of women who started with my dry January last year and did every single group after that. And they just hit a year um, sober and they started the dry January just because they kind of, you know, had been drinking too much and they realized that they wanted to take a break. And so many of them, it was just going to be a break. And now they've continued, they've gone through the summer, they've gone through vacations, the holidays, and they are just thriving in life. It's, it's absolutely incredible. So I started with the new group this week and, you know, just, just to try to like build them up and be like, I'm just so proud of you for being here because many people wouldn't do something like that. They wouldn't go to a support group. They wouldn't, you know, ask for help because it's like this unspoken thing. Like no, no one talks about like how much money they make and no one talks about like their consequences from drinking or even hangovers. You know, it's like, everybody's got to act like they have any, but I was like, everybody, not, you know, most people feel crappy the next day or even question their relationship with alcohol, but they're not, you know, maybe brave enough to do something like this. And I, you know, the first couple of weeks are rough for people, but then all of a sudden around like 14 to 21 days, they start to come alive again. And that just like, just makes me just so happy when I see that. How do you help? So you were, I, I, I always love talking about like relationships and like a love life post drinking. Like how did you navigate the dating world and, and, and all that stuff? Cause for me, that was a huge crutch. Like alcohol was a conduit to talking to girls and I, cause I would always be so freaking nervous. Like what, what, what did you see there and what did you experience when you got back like into dating and stuff? Yeah. Well, that's funny. Um, so shortly after I got divorced, I ended up like rekindling an old relationship. Somebody I used to bar 10 years ago and he was one of my customers and we both got divorced at the same time. So we sort of re reconnected. And but our relationship at that time um, was a lot of drinking. It involved drinking basically every single time that we saw each other. And then it, it ramped up my drinking, I think, because he drank a lot, too. So then I was like just trying to keep up, even though he yeah. was probably double my size. And so it was really sort of tumultuous I guess like at the beginning because I would break up with them every other week and then we'd be back to like we did that for years um and then work it I still and I still do now seven years later I have a really tough complicated co-parenting relationship with my ex so there's just so many elements going on but um so I, I I broke up with um the guy I was dating and I did a little dabbled a little bit in dating and, and I was drinking at the time and it was a freaking nightmare um, like the internet dating and I got myself into like a couple like really not safe situations and that was around the time that I finally that I quit because I was like what am I doing here I'm a mom I'm like almost 40 years old and and I'm literally you said it you you're putting yourself in like dangerous situations because of yeah. like you know because of drinking and and like you throw dating in there too like as a woman you you're alone with some guy in a car you don't know it's just yeah it's yeah. scary you oh, hear the gosh. stories and yeah i mean i definitely have some crazy stories around that time and yeah just like allowing behavior and to be treated in a way that's totally disrespectful but i felt so bad about myself that i was just like allowing it and so i quit drinking and I was able to rekindle my relationship 
with um, my boyfriend that I had been dating, you know, on and off. And now since I quit drinking, we've been together ever since. I have not broke up with him in the three years <laughs> I quit drinking. So he loves it. Um, yeah. And it's just been the, the best thing uh, for for myself and for my relationship. And he he still is a drinker, I guess you could say, but has com- totally cut back, doesn't drink around me. We stayed in for New Year's at, for two nights and he didn't even have one drink. And so that's when I realized like how people can have one drink. And I, I definitely can't, I've never been, been that type of person. Like he it's was also like, makes me realize just listening to your story. Like, Oh, by the way, like you're worth it, whatever it is, you're worth it. You know what I mean? Whether it's being somebody that, you know, you don't have to go out with all the time or, you know, like you're worth it. Like you have, you've, you've got like, for me, when I got sober and I still, you know, as much as I kind of like stay connected, I continue to have this, this mindset, but like, you know, I don't have to like compromise my beliefs and my person, you know, my principles. Sometimes I will, cause I'll, I'll, I'll screw up, but you know, I don't, I don't have to live like that anymore. You know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's what I, I feel like I've also been able to just remove some relationships, like friendships from my life that maybe weren't healthy for me or positive. And so that's really been great. Like I, the people who are in my life they're I want them there and they want to be there and it's both sides and nobody really, no one causes me stress. If the I have a small circle. I've always been more about quality over quantity. I was never one with like a million friends, but um, it is just really nice to have good quality people in your life. And when you respect yourself and love yourself, you, that's all you won't, you know, settle for any less. All right. So you're from Buffalo. That's the, for me, that's the land of like Marv Levy and like, you know, great, great bills, football, Levy, an incredible coach. And now you're in, you're in uh, new England or Boston. So you got Bill Parcells, <laughs> Bill Belichick. And I noticed you do have coaching skills, just from the moment I asked you what you tell people that say it's boring, you say you're boring. So it's clear that like, I, and, and I respond to coaching like that. Like it's clear you are very direct with, with your clients. What are some of the services you provide and some of those, or you take it right down main street to get them. Honestly, to me, that's super attractive and somebody who's going to lead me, you know, I want no bullshit. If you take it easy on me, I'm probably going to take advantage I, I want like, you know, a direct line. So what are some of the, I guess, the methods you use to, to stay honest with, with your clients? Because you, you want to help them. This is not about making somebody, you know, going easy on somebody. You're trying to help somebody. At the same time, you do want to manage the fact that they're newly sober and looking for help. I would say at first when someone comes to me and they're on day one, I know they already feel horrible about themselves. So I usually will try to build them up and encourage them um, at first and come in with like that empathetic side and be like, there's nothing wrong with you. You're not broken. Uh, I try to just like build them up, pull them out of that, you know, let them know they're worthy. And I love to do like meditations and I do all that kind of stuff. And then once they're starting to feel a little bit better, then I'll start to hit them with, you know, the facts and just a little bit more of the tough love. But I would say, you know, mostly, I try to come at them more of a nurturing thing and just make people start to care about themselves, make them believe in themselves and like that anything is possible and which I believe that. And I'm the perfect example, I feel like of that. So it's, yeah, you're a living, breathing example in front of them. 
Yeah, and they and I think they see that from just following me on social media, and they see that how I am on social media is exactly how I am in real life. I I try to just be as authentic as I can and and real, and I, people appreciate that. And then they see they see some of them in me, and then they start to believe in themselves. You do a lot of work with Brad, uh, sober buddy. He, I think he's like, he's one of my favorite guys. And, you know, like I see you collaborating with other people in that, this recovery world. And it's it really like warms my heart. What, what, what has it done for you to be able to, you know, you have all your followers on Instagram, you're teaming up with other people who have large followings. You're, you're, you're connecting with a lot of people. You're impacting a lot of people. This is a much different story than somebody who woke up, you know, the day after Christmas and three years ago and was like, I can't do this anymore. You know, how, how does that make you feel? Yeah, it's sometimes, you know, pinch myself. Like, is this real? This is just so crazy. Um, but yeah, Brad is amazing. He's, I, I feel like sometimes I'm like, you're the guy version of me. We're very, <laughs> we're very similar in many ways. Just yeah. like our personalities, like we're just laid back and we're kind of, you know, nothing really ruffles our feathers too much or anything but he's been such a great mentor even though i like laugh because i'm like you're younger than me so but still i'm like you're, <laughs> he's been a, but he has a lot more sober time and all of that so he's been a great mentor and uh, the work that we've done with sober buddy and now you know i'm i was hired first to do their social media they were like we need a, a social media manager we love your account and um do you or first he had asked me if i knew anybody looking for to, for that position. I said, I'll do it. And he was like, don't you have a job? I'm like, yeah, but I've, I always have a ton of jobs. So, uh, I started doing that and I did that for a while. And now, uh, Brad and I started a community with sober buddy. There was none. It was just an app. Now we have meetings, uh, twice a day and him and I both host meetings there and we have a thriving community and I'm the sober buddy community manager, I guess. So I run the sober buddy community plus Soba Sisters community as as well. That's and killer. I didn't know. I didn't know all that. I mean, I knew. I knew you through Brad. Um, I knew of you. That's that's amazing. Yeah, it's it's really cool. Again, like I said, when we him and I started, there there was no meeting. I'm like, we need community. How that's the whole part of sobriety is connection is the opposite of addiction. And so now I've been with them about a year and a half, and it's just been such an incredible learning opportunity as well to be. In, are surrounded with such great people. I should have known it wasn't him working the social media. I definitely should have known that. It makes a lot more sense now. Um, <laughs> anything else, like, you know, you want to share about, you know, your community, about your coaching, um, uh, anything else, you know, obviously I'll put all your stuff in, in the show links, but um, anything else you want to share? Yeah, no, uh, definitely come check out Soba Sisters, but there's so many incredible communities out there. Uh, we're so lucky these days to just have so many options to to get sober. So try out different ones and see what you vibe with. They're all different and they all bring their own little thing. So definitely check out a different um, couple different communities. Sober Buddy is for men and women and for drugs and alcohol. And Sober Sisters is obviously just women. And, um, and just yeah, alcohol? What is, yes. Okay. So yeah. – well, I want to ask you one more thing now that I think about it. What's the meditation scene like with you? Like, how, how are you doing? I always like, I need to get more consistent with that. But when people talk about meditation, I kind of perk up because when, I, when I've when i done it in the past, it's worked. What is, how have you been able to weave that 
into a, a recovery model and, and your own life personally? Yeah. So I wrote a little meditation maybe like two years ago. And so I read that a lot of times at the beginning of our meeting. So once everybody's in, I'll, you know, I'll say, close your eyes. And I have this whole script in a lot. And it basically starts, um, you know, we're a group of women who were sick of our, we were sick of our own shit. We knew deep down that we deserve more in this life than we've been giving us. We now have hope because we have each other. You know, alcohol may have helped us at one point in our life when we knew nothing else. It was there for us in happy times, sad times, celebratory times. But now we're standing up for each other. And, you know, so it's kind of things like that. But obviously I'll say I'm happy I asked. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so that's I love doing that. People usually will cry and a lot of emotions going on. And so I'll wrap it around where just by the end, we'll say some affirmations. And because in the beginning, I, I couldn't do a meditation. I couldn't say like, I'm enough or I love you. And I would either cry or just be like, no, I, I don't feel that way. And so it takes practice meditation for sure. And so just keep doing it. You know, anyone who's open to it, just keep trying it. And eventually it, it really works. What's your morning routine? <laughs> I wish it was better. Yeah, okay, it okay, good. It's good to know you're human. With two kids and a puppy, it is not what I... I usually wait till I get everybody off to school, and then I come home, and then I'll start my morning routine. But in early sobriety, definitely that first year, it was I would get up before everybody, and I would do some journaling, and I would do the guided meditation on Insight Timer app is free, and they have guided meditations you could even type in meditation for addiction and they'll come up you don't have to do anything so I would do that and um I did a ton of walking in the first year as well now my morning routines are very chaotic and crazy. <laughs> <laughs> well I appreciate what you're doing and I thank you so much for for making the time I know how busy you are but I've been I've been kind of circling you for a while I wanted to I wanted to get you on here and and, and be able to share your story with the folks that listen to this. So I, I really can't thank you enough. This will probably be up later today, um, and I'll shoot you a link when it, when it goes up. Well, awesome, Pete. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, Megan Wilcox, you're the best. Keep it going. I'm serious. Like, I really appreciate it. Like, you know, I know, like, look, for me personally, like, there's times when I get done this podcast and I feel like, like I'm walking on air, and now it's one of those times. So I love talking recovery with people like you. Thank you very much. Oh, I love to hear that. That means a lot to me. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to The Payoff with Pete. Once again, I'm Pete Souza, And of course, we are part of the Rogue Media Network. All kinds of good podcasts you can find at roguemedianetwork.com. And of course, you can find this podcast and all those other ones wherever you get your podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, other spots like that. This has been a Rogue Media Network production.